Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. May God bless the reading of his word. So, preaching class 101. Every sermon should have a single point. People can only really... Every communication event in life, every college lecture you go to should have a single point. Maybe you've got a lot of sub-points, but they all support the single big idea. Well, with a radical guy like me in a radical community like ours, rules are meant to be broken. We're actually going to try and do two things today, which may end up meaning we ain't get zero done, but, but hang in there with me. Because Exodus 3, first of all, is a fascinating passage, and it relates to the kind of thing that God's taking Patek through, but it goes beyond that. So we want to take a look at Exodus chapter 3. But something bigger is going on in all of Exodus, and particularly the first 15 chapters of Exodus. And we don't want to skip over that bigger thing. So we got one thing that's big and important, and the other thing that is crucial to individuals of us and, and interesting. 
So we want to do both what's important and what's interesting. So hang in there and let's see how we go. Last week, we were introduced to the notion of meta-narrative by our educated seminarian. The idea here in meta-narrative is that scripture is one big story from beginning to end. And we want to cover what that story is. We want to know the story of scripture. You know, often we read our Bibles, right? And we get caught up in the little details. And we wonder, how does this fit with everything else that God's doing? What's the point of what's going on here? Hmm. There's one big story that runs from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 22. It starts in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 to 3 is really the prequel. Uh, this is review for those of you who have been here before. Look, by the time we get done with this series, you ought to be able to say, what's the point of the Bible from beginning to end? You ought to be able to trace it through. And this is also helpful for those to, who haven't been here before just to catch up with what we're doing. So Genesis 1, we have a powerful God. And we have a good God. And he makes this world. And it's good. The most common theme in Genesis 1 is it's good. The relationship between husband and wife is good. Uh, their jobs, their time in, in their job, it's good. As they look around at creation around them, creation's good in their lives with creation. That's good. Everything throughout Genesis 1 is good. But we know our world is not that way. And so Genesis starts off by explaining why our world is the way it is. That it's not good and, and why it's not good. And then we got the fall in chapter 3. And in the fall, then Adam and Eve, husband and wife, are at odds. In the fall, they're expelled. they got this beautiful uh, garden that they're in. But as a result of the fall, they're expelled from the garden. And then everybody else has to live with the consequences of their ill decision. So for all time, all people are affected by the fall. But God doesn't leave it that way. That's what the prequel is. That's the setting we find ourselves in. And and now God explains what he's going to do and and why. And so what we have in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, for those of you who know, what we have in the Abraham story is that God starts to make things right again. And he gives Abraham three promises. He promises Abraham, first of all, that he's going to have innumerable descendants. As many stars as are in the sky, as many sands uh, of of, uh, grains of sand in the seashore, Abraham's going to have that many descendants. And instead of, uh, of conflict within the family, they're going to have descendants and blessing. And then they were expelled from the land. They were expelled from Eden. But now God promises Abraham they're going to have land. He's going to give them a place flowing with milk and honey. Not quite as good as Eden, but a glorious place for them to live just their own. And then through them, all nations will be blessed. All nations that have been cursed through Adam are now going to eventually be blessed through Abraham. And this is the promise. And we've traced it over the last few weeks. We've traced the first of those promises. The promise of descendants. We've traced that through Genesis. We see that each generation, God honors his promise. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. Four generations, God's honored his promise and he's brought descendants into this family. And yet, we get to the end of Genesis 
And there are not as many Jews as there are stars in the sky or grains of sand on the seashore. There's only 70. And so Exodus takes us to the next step. And this is why we don't want to miss the big picture of the story, because now Exodus chapter 1 takes us into the next step of the story. And take a look at Exodus chapter 1, page 40. 400 years have passed in silence. And suddenly the 70 are now innumerable. Take a look at verse 7. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. They're all over Egypt. God has answered his promise. And a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country. You see, so even the pharaoh, the, the prime, the, even the head of this uh, superpower, recognizes that God's blessed his people. He's fulfilled his first promise. He's done it slowly. It took him about 500 years to fulfill this promise. He did it slowly. He did it despite dealing with fallen people. His people kept making mistakes. His people kept disobeying him. And yet God still accomplished his purpose. And he did it despite the obstacles of a fallen world. And we see that even in here in Exodus chapter 1. Uh, what does the Pharaoh say? We've got to constrain them. We've, we've got to deal harshly with them or else they're going to reproduce. And so first of all, what he does is he makes them slaves. But what happens in verse 12? The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And then he got a new idea. He said, he commanded the midwives to kill the baby boys. And yet what happened? Verse 20, the people increased and became even more numerous. And then he got a new idea telling the parents to drown their baby boys in the river. And that brings us to the story of Moses. But you see how the trajectory of Scripture is developing, how the meta-narrative is developing. The beauty of Eden was lost through sin. But it's being restored through Abraham. And it'll be restored in three steps. It'll be restored as Abraham has descendants. It'll be restored as Abraham and his descendants get land. And it will be restored as they become a blessing to the people around them. And so we see that Exodus begins the second stage. Genesis, they had descendants. Exodus chapter 1, they've got innumerable descendants. And the Pharaoh tries to stop. And they still grow more. And he tries to stop again, and they grow more. And he tries to stop again. And that brings us to the Moses story. The meta-narrative of Scripture. God is redeeming his world. He moves slowly, often imperceptibly. It's something you see over centuries, not over days, not over years. But God is redeeming his world. And he's redeeming his world even though often his people fail him. And he's redeeming his world even in the face of insuperable obstacles. God's cause will achieve its result. God's purpose will be accomplished. That's the meta-narrative. And Exodus ties into that because here we begin the promise of land. God's fulfilled the promise of descendants. Now here we begin the second promise of land. 
That's the meta-narrative. That's the first of the two points. Now let's look at something that's more concrete and more relevant to us. Let's look about how God called Moses to be part of this. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, just over the next page, page 41. Beginning in verse 7. I'm sorry, beginning at verse 6. Then God said to Moses, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here we have God's first encounter with Moses. And see what we learn about the character of God. Verses 6 to 9. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I've heard crying out, I've heard my people crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. Why does God have to start here that he's concerned about their suffering? Think about the situation in Uganda. I first became aware of Uganda maybe in the 70s when I had some friends from Uganda. And at that point, I think still into the 70s, they had a crazy president called Obote that everybody hated because he was not only a dictator, but he, he killed people that disagreed with him. And you think, where is God when people are dying? And then they managed to, well, one of his, uh, uh, one of his junior officers managed to overthrow Obote. And then Idi Amin came into power. Now, if you're old enough, you probably remember how notorious Idi Amin was. People at first celebrated that uh, Amin has taken over. But he was just at least as crazy as Obote. Where is God when his people suffer? I had a classmate in seminary who was in seminary in the U.S. because he was pastor of a big church in, in uh, Uganda, in Kampala. And uh, Idi Amin's henchmen came into the church office one day just as before he was supposed to preach. They came in to kill him before the worship service. And then he preached to them and they, they let him go, but they warned him that other people were going to come and kill him. And so he had to flee the country. And he was one of the lucky ones because he got away. Where is God when his people suffer? Eventually, I had a Tanzanian friend who took great delight in the fact that the Tanzanians, while they denied it, they invaded Uganda and they overthrew Idi Amin. So maybe God's now finally delivering his people. Only then, Obote came back into power at some point, And he, he was crazy. And then you've got this Joseph Kune, Kone, with the Lord's resistance army, the LRA, who outcrazes all the crazies. Where is God when his people suffer? You know, that's the, the question this text has to address because here's God's people. He promised them. 
descendants. And he delivered the promise of descendants, but he promised them land. And they're not in Palestine. They had to flee Palestine to survive. The only way they got descendants was by leaving their homeland. And so now they got all these people and they're slaves. Where is God? When his people are enslaved. And they just didn't happen. They were in Egypt for 400 years. And it's not just, oh, they became slaves and then God said to Moses, no. They were slaves. And then Moses is alive and he tries to intervene and it backfires and Moses leaves. Where is God? Then, where was God when they became slaves? Where was God when Moses tried to save a Jew from being beaten by a slave master? And then Moses goes off into Midian and disappears by a decade or more. Where is God? While Moses is there. And so when God finally calls Moses, why does he have to say this? He has to say it because it looks like it's not true. God says, I've heard them crying out. I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because they're their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. He has to say it because it sure looks like it's not true. And throughout Scripture, this is what we see. What did we see in Genesis? God fulfills his purposes, but... Not to be disrespectful, but he takes his sweet time about it sometimes. God fulfills his purposes, but he moves slowly. And this becomes important for us in our expectations. It certainly becomes important for Uganda as it struggled through decade after decade of unrest and civil war and poverty and, and violence. But it becomes important for us as we engage in God's purposes. What we expect from God is something dramatic and fast. God moves, but he moves slowly. I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them cry out. And now the good news, verse 8. Verse 8. I've come down to rescue them. But here's an irony. What does verse 8 say? I've come down to rescue them. But verse 10 says, So now, go. I'm sending you, he says to Moses. You see the irony? God says, I've come down to rescue them. And then God says, so you go rescue them. How do you miss the point? God works through means. God works through human means. God has indeed come down to rescue them, but he's not going to do it directly. He sends Moses. So now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God always works through means. God works through his people. God works through us. He could intervene directly, but he doesn't. He works through us. And what is Moses' response to all of this? Verse 11. Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is a refugee. He's a we wanted for crimes. He's fled. He's, there's a price on his head. He's a wanted convict. Or, who would be a convict if they could catch him? 
Who am I that I should go? Who am I that, that I should do this? Who am I that I should stand up to a pharaoh, to a superpower? And notice God's response to him, verse 12. I will be with you. Moses says, who am I to do this? And God says, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is that I am with you. It's, it's all on me, God is saying. I will be with you. And that's enough. You don't need some other credentials. I will be with you. That's enough. Verse 13, Moses asks, If I go to the Israelites and say, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What's his name? What should I tell them? Now notice how God answers this question. Notice who God is. God says there's two things about himself. Verse 14. I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Think for a moment just about the oddity of this phrase. What does this phrase tell us about God? I am. It really says next to nothing. On the other hand, it says everything. See, if God said, I am omnipotent, I am strong, I am I'm powerful, then we would relate to him to our concepts of power. And in so doing, we kind of shrink him down to our concepts of power because we only have a limited concept of power. If God said, I am loving, we would shrink him down to our concept of loving. There is no descriptor you can use that actually captures who God is. There's no concept we can use. There's no words we can use that fully explain who God is because we can't compare him with anything else. The language I am simply says, it presupposes the uniqueness of God. There is no way for us to understand the depth of his character, the breadth of his power, the intimacy or determination of his love. God is unique. All he can describe himself as is, I am. You tell them that I am the one unique person. The one unique being who can be described by no adjectives. The one unique being who can, can be compared to no other attributes. Tell them that I am has sent me. This great God. But there's something else about him. Verse 15. He's not just I am. He's the Lord. The God of your fathers. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. He's the great powerful God who words cannot describe. And yet he's also their God who cares deeply about them. He's their family God. He's the great powerful God on high and he's the God that's part of their lives and part of their ancestry. The God that knows their generations, their ancestors and their descendants. Who are you? I'm the only God, he says. And I'm involved in your lives, intimately involved in your lives. So here we have a picture not just of the call of Moses, but we have a picture of the God who calls Moses. The reason I wanted to spend a little time on this this morning is because to ask, what does this say to us as we hear about the purposes of God? What does this say to us? And we need to think about it 
is because in our tradition, you know, our tradition is a very strong tradition. What we call Protestants or Evangelicals, it's a very strong tradition. But in our tradition, we get some things wrong. Some things, very, very important things wrong. And because they're so solid on our tradition, we can't see that we got it wrong. And we read the Bible through this screen. So what happens when we read the story about Moses? What happens is, we take this as a paradigm, a pattern for us today. Good instincts, bad in this case. What does it mean to be called by God? It means somehow you have this spectacular experience. You know, you see a bur bush burning and it's not a campfire. You see a bush burning and, and there's no rational explanation for why it's burning and it's not burning up. And you have this dramatic uh, spiritual encounter with God or physical encounter with God. And then God tells you to go do some extraordinary thing. And he gives you some miraculous powers. And you can throw down your staff or stick and it becomes a snake and he tells you if you touch people they'll get leprosy or if you heal them they'll, they'll be healed and, and we look for this is what it means to be called of God in our tradition this is we, we think it's dramatic so before you go to Uganda or a Muslim country or China you got to have a call from God like Moses did Exodus 3 I won't give you all the reasons why that's wrong. I'll give you one. In Moses' generation, how many people had this kind of a call? One. Not Aaron. Not Miriam, even though they helped lead. Not all the Jews. If the only people that join the purpose of God is the guy who has this call, then Moses is going into the promised land alone. Now maybe if God is calling you to go to preach the gospel to ISIS, maybe you need this kind of a call. But there's nothing in this passage that suggests this is a paradigm. Moses is special. That's why we hear about his call. He's not a pattern for all of us. In fact, think about this. Do you realize we do have a pattern? for calling, for what our call is. The Bible gives us a pattern. Yahweh says here, they say, who are you? And Yahweh says, I am. We know somebody else in the Bible who said, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That other I am gathered his followers and we can read it in the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We can read it in the end of the Gospel of Luke. We can read it in the end of the Gospel of John. We can read it at the beginning of the book of Acts. And he gathered his followers. And he called them all. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And God said to Moses, go. And Jesus said to all of his followers, go. And God said to Moses, Moses said, who am I? And we say, who am I? And God said to Moses, doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. I'll be with you. And Jesus says to us, go. And we say, I didn't have a call like Moses. Or we say, who am I? And Jesus says, I will be with you. Doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. You see, we've all had a call. Ah, if you're a believer, if you took communion, if you're a believer and you've been baptized, you've got communion. You've been called. Matthew 28. Luke 24. Acts 1. 
John 21. Now, it doesn't mean instantly you have to drop what you're doing now and go off to some Muslim country or some country where the gospel is not available. We've all been called and we've been talking about this as a congregation. How can we use our vocations, where we are right now, to further the purpose of God? It's a question that we should all be asking. If you're a student, well, what major can you study that shows you, you know, connects with your gifts? What are you good at that you can do that also helps for the purpose of God? In your job, in your neighborhood where you are now. I've already been called, so how can I use my job in my neighborhood to further the purpose of God? Now, maybe for some of you that will mean, I'm going to keep this same job and I'm going to do it somewhere else where the need is greater, where the gospel is less available. And you're going to pick up your job and go do it somewhere else. Maybe for a few of you, you'll say, you know, look, what I really have a passion for is I'm going to go into vocational Christian ministry. We could take any one of those four directions. And they're all perfectly legitimate. But we don't wait for a call. Because we've had the call already. We stand here, we sit here as people who are called by God. All we're looking for is what can we do right now? And then where will that lead us? All we're trying to do as protect shared. All we need to do is say yes. We don't wait to hear a call. We say yes to the call that God's already given us. Over the course of this year, let that be your prayer as we go and see the trajectory of God's purposes throughout the Old Testament. As we see God's purpose and God's work throughout the Old Testament, let that be your prayer. God, show me what I can do now where I am. And if I should move, show me where I could be useful. Don't wait for a call. Act and let God lead. Let's pray together. Father, that you would use people like us. Jesus, that you would call people like us. We thank you for the privilege that we can be part of what you're doing in the world. Lead us, guide us, encourage us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.